You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, The World at Five. Yeah, good on you, Calvin. Fantastic. And uh, that, that's one, and there's a, the latest one is here. This is the very latest from Counterspin Media. I'm on their backup channel. So get over to Telegram, get on it. I've, I've only just sort of like started using it, and I actually think it's pretty good uh, because pff, they can't stop you on <laughs> this one. For some reason, Telegram's allowed to. And the other one, as far as the videos are concerned, I'd say Rumble's probably it. Well, we haven't got much of a following. We used to have a big following on YouTube, but then they took took all that. Everything. They just keep pulling the, pulling the stuff off, and in the end, I just gave up. Uh, because I'm not very good at not um, telling the truth. I'm not very good at pretending the things aren't really happening when they are. Um, Multipolarity Forum in Moscow live now. Oh, it's live. Okay, so I, what I'll do is I'll put that link up. Uh, now, how do I do that? Uh, I'll just... So what do I, I'll just copy it, I suppose. There's a, I'll go to the live stream. Uh, and then I'll see if I can share that with you all, and I'll put it up on our Facebook, Liberty NZ. Uh, well, perhaps I won't do it right now. What are we up to? Going on for 7 o'clock. I should be probably just carrying on. There's quite a bit to get through, but anyway, I'll just give you a bit of an idea here. Now, the scientists in Crimea, Crimea have come up with an innovative nanopower that can be used in aircraft construction, radiation protection, as well as production of new materials and equipment. Vladimir Garish, director of the Advanced Technology Center at the Sevastopol University in Sputnik. He says that it can be used in many areas, and we now have the best results in composite materials, radioprotective material in certain construction mixtures, concrete, cement, ceramics, and so on. And further use is primarily, primarily additive technologies, possibly the creation of new devices taking into account photocatalytic effects, the creation of new alloys, according to the scientist uh, over there. Is am I on the right one? Here's Sputnik International. Yeah, let's, let's play that. This sounds very interesting. Only a short one. Oh, hang on. There we go. Oh, it's just music. I'm looking at all the pictures, all the vials. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, get out of there, Grant. Yeah, Sputnik. Mm, okay, so what else we got here? According to him, um, I got all that. No, no, I've, no, we were talking about the. Um, I, I, I've got to learn how to use this properly. I'm so all over the place now. Where am I now? Gone to some other channel. Oh, I'm gone to Sputnik International. Oh gosh, no wonder. Get back, get back. All right, we're back, we're back now. And um, so we've had Calvin, right? And there's one other one. Here we go. There we are. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. So that's the Sputnik International. So if you go over to Counterspin Media Official at Telegram, join that group. Um, you'll get the updates there. All right, we better move along because it's seven o'clock and we haven't done much about news and weather. Um, and I haven't given you much New Zealand news either. Now, I've got something else here, antibiotics. Uh, let's, let's, let's talk about antibiotics. Do they work? They're often hailed as one of the greatest discoveries of medical science. They are they're credited with the saving scores of soldiers during the World War II era and millions of lives since. However, there are major problems with the story that has been promulgated by the medical establishment and the pharmaceutical industry. In this next story, New Zealand doctor Sam Bailey looks into the history of penicillin and the state of the scientific evidence, including recent concerns about antimicrobial resistance. 
are antibiotics ever useful and why do they seem to work sometimes if there are fatal flaws in the germ theory of disease? And I've got that clip here. Dr. Sam Bailey, I have you. Uh, well, I'll have you in a minute, but just, just give me give me a half a minute. I'll find it. We have Ben Shapiro, is it? Who, who's this? Yes, no, not Ben, someone else. We'll be right back in a minute. All right, so I'm going to try to be uh, really direct and honest. Uh, Thank you. So, um, short statement and then two, two related questions. Short statement, um, I, I'm immediately uh, angered and offended that this kind of thing happens on public property. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what, where I'm coming from. But yep. given that, I'm going to try to ask very honest, direct questions. You bet. Um, so on the Can first... I respond to your first statement? Yeah, of course. I think what you've just expressed is the essence of intolerance. I respect anybody's right to stand out here, be they atheist, communist, Marxist, Leninist, capitalist agnostic, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, and say what they want to say. And I'm very grateful that I live in a country that supports free speech. Secondly, I thought that I was in a liberal arts educational environment. I thought that the basis of liberal arts education was the belief in the free exchange of ideas, the right to disagree with each other and then to explain respectfully why we disagree. Very good. Now, he's a campus preacher. It's eight, 7 o'clock, rather, 7 o'clock. The sun's up. Red sky in the morning, shepherd's warning, and uh, antibiotics. They're often hailed as the one of the greatest discoveries of medical science. Let's find out from Dr. Sam Bailey whether that's true or not. In the year 2000, while working as a first-year house surgeon, my husband Mark was on a ward round, being led by a medical consultant. An elderly patient was diagnosed with pneumonia, and the consultant advised Mark to prescribe intravenous antibiotics as per the hospital's drug protocol book. Mark picked up the medication chart, but instinctively hesitated and said to the senior doctor, why do we always give these? The consultant was incredulous that such a question would come up, but Mark pressed him and asked how he knew they worked. No definitive evidence was offered, and instead the consultant emphatically stated that it was established through decades of collective wisdom and clinical experience. Not only that, but the patient's sputum could be sent to the lab to see which bacteria were present and which antibiotics killed them. Mark could see something was amiss, and another seed was planted that led to the eventual departure of both of us from the allopathic medical system. The word antibiotic derives from the Greek anti and bios, which translates to against life. That may give you some clues about the origins of this class of pharmaceutical, which is embedded in germ theory and the war against microbes. Medical students are often taught the famous story of Scottish physician Alexander Fleming, who was investigating the growth of Staphylococcus aureus bacteria on culture plates in London in 1928. One of the culture plates was left exposed while he was on holiday, and when he returned, he realised it was contaminated with a blue-green mould. He then noticed that the bacteria did not grow around the mould and surmised that a substance that killed bacteria was being secreted by the mould. Fleming called it penicillin and published his findings the following year in 1929, but his paper initially created little interest in the medical community. Dr Howard Florey at the University of Oxford became aware of penicillin in 1939 and approached the British Medical Research Council for funding to investigate its antibacterial properties. His team received only a modest grant, but then an agent from the Rockefeller Foundation stepped in and suggested that Florey, quote, apply for foundation funding. 
The application mentioned that it may also be pointed out that the work proposed, in addition to its theoretical importance, may have practical value for therapeutic purposes. And hey presto, it was approved by the Rockefeller Foundation. In a 1989 New York Times article titled Big Money Meets Big Science, it was written that Rockefeller money helped support some of the most profoundly important advances in modern science and medicine, including the work of Niels Bohr, Enrico Fermi, Werner Heisenberg and Hans Krebs. The development of such vital research tools as the ultracentrifuge, the electron microscope and the 200-inch Hale telescope and the discovery of penicillin. Well, apart from Krebs, the rest were theoretical physicists who made models like the virologists do. And as for the research tools mentioned, they haven't delivered on much that improves the lot of humanity or our well-being. So the inclusion of penicillin in there should raise suspicions. The article goes on to state that, as one of the greatest contributions to the war effort, the Rockefeller Foundation supported the Oxford University researchers Howard W. Florey and Ernst Boris Chain while they struggled to transform penicillin from a petri dish curiosity to the miracle drug that saved the lives of millions, including the Allied soldiers who might otherwise have died of the virulent battlefield infection, gas gangrene. Obviously, it is not possible in this video to go through every disease that is claimed to be treated by antibiotics. However, we can go straight to the top shelf and pick one of the alleged greatest victories brought about by their use. So let's take this classic tale that has been promulgated since World War II, the alleged life-saving penicillin that saved scores of soldiers. There must be plenty of evidence for that, right? Before we get to the state of the science, I should point out that gas gangrene is a life-threatening condition, but it is not an infection by invading bacteria as the mainstream claims. If you try to find any evidence that the bacterium Clostridium perfringens can invade healthy tissue and make someone sick, you won't find it. It is a type of bacteria that is found everywhere, often in decaying vegetation, the soil, and even in our gut. In other words, a crucial part of our ecosystem, rather than a pathogen. Conditions like gas gangrene are the result of devitalized muscle tissue brought about by a blocked blood supply, trauma such as gunshots or even snake bites. The microbes will certainly start proliferating, but not until the tissue is already dying, i.e. the underlying terrain has changed. It is like a piece of meat from an animal. Once the blood supply is cut off and the tissue is deoxygenated, the microbes that are everywhere will get to work breaking it down. It doesn't matter if the tissue is still attached to living tissue. The breakdown will proceed regardless. So let's get to the evidence for antibiotics in the case of gas gangrene. In 2015, the Cochrane Group performed a review titled Interventions for Treating Gas Gangrene. They looked for randomized controlled trials that compared one treatment of gas gangrene with another treatment or with no treatment and identified two relevant RCTs with a total of 90 participants with gas gangrene. And the conclusion? Neither trial reported on this review's primary outcomes of quality of life and amputation and death due to gas gangrene or in adverse events. Trials that addressed other therapies such as immediate debridement, antibiotic treatment, systemic support and other possible treatments were not available. 
the benefits and harms of different treatments for gas gangrene remain unclear as the available trials do not provide high quality evidence due to low sample numbers and a number of problems with the way the trials were conducted that can introduce bias to the results. Pretty underwhelming stuff. In fact, it means that the widespread claim that penicillin saved all those wounded soldiers has no scientific basis. If there was improvement in their outcomes, it was most likely due to surgical removal of dead tissue, awareness of hygiene, and improved practices in managing shock, such as rehydration. You can watch my video, Five Spectacular Fails from Germ Theory, for more information on this. Regardless, in terms of the millions of lives penicillin alone is supposed to have saved, the scientific evidence is lacking. It is a case of medical mythology and pharma marketing spin. But the use of antibiotics is not set to slow down. To add to the lolly scramble, the CDC has recently suggested the use of the antibiotic doxycycline for some people when they have sex to purportedly prevent them getting infections. You can watch my videos such as what we weren't taught about gonorrhea to see why entities such as this are not infections. In any case, apparently the CDC proposed getting even more antibiotics into the population, even though they have, quote, wrestled with the concern that doxypep could raise the risk of bacteria developing resistance to the antibiotic. Ah, antimicrobial resistance. Another fear-based narrative being propagated on faulty premises. The story has been pushed by mainstream outlets such as The Guardian, who reported last year that antimicrobial resistance poses a significant threat to humanity, health leaders have warned. More than 1.2 million and potentially millions more died in 2019 as a direct result of antibiotic-resistant bacterial infections, according to the most comprehensive estimate to date of the global impact of antimicrobial resistance, AMR. They were referring to a Lancet paper with the title Global Burden of Bacterial Antimicrobial Resistance in 2019, a systematic analysis. Sponsored by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Wellcome Trust. And how did they come up with the figures? They used predictive statistical modelling to produce estimates of AMR burden for all locations, including for locations with no data. In other words, they made it up. Not only are they using modelling estimates, but the input data itself is phony, as none of the conditions they listed have been shown to be caused by bacteria. So bacteria being resistant to the drugs is not relevant to any individual's cause of death. The paper would be pleasing to Big Pharma though when it concluded that it is crucial to making informed and location-specific policy decisions, particularly about infection prevention and control programs, access to essential antibiotics, and research and development of new vaccines and antibiotics. The pharma-sponsored germ focus results in tunnel vision, where doctors have been led to believe that killing bugs can benefit a patient. This becomes their goal rather than reversing the underlying problems that made the patient sick in the first place. Take the example I introduced at the start regarding the consultant that instructed Mark to prescribe IV antibiotics for pneumonia. In the allopathic model, the condition is said to be caused by bacteria, so a sputum sample is sent to the lab, and if certain microbes are cultured, they take the blame. The lab then tests various antibiotics against the microbes to establish the sensitivities, or which of them kills the bacteria most effectively. 
The treating doctors are then guided by these results and select one or several antibiotics to give to the patient. There are so many problems with this and for brevity we'll list some of the main ones. Number one, the underlying causes of the patient's pneumonia were not established, so were not treated. Number two, the presence of bacteria in a sputum sample is not diagnostic of a disease. The microbes are bystanders that proliferate under certain conditions and healthy people inhale them without ill effect. Three, killing bacterial colonies on a plate with antibiotics is not treating a patient. Even if the antibiotic does kill bacteria inside the person, there is no evidence that this is curative. The last point also raises an interesting question about why antibiotics may work in suppressing symptoms in some conditions. Certain skin diseases and so-called urinary tract infections spring to mind. Many antibiotics do not simply kill bacteria on petri dishes. When they are given to complex organisms such as humans, they act as anti-inflammatory agents. Dermatologists have known about this mechanism for years and have prescribed them extensively for inflammatory skin conditions and what the mainstream call autoimmune disorders. It's an area that is not well publicised as the germ theorists prefer the antibacterial narrative. The flaws in the claims about antibiotics such as penicillin were already anticipated in the pre-antibiotic era. In 1887, British surgeon Lawson Tate noted that I have opened the abdomen in many cases packed full of tubercular matter and drained it like a common abscess and have cured the patients. The same thing has been done by Esmark, who has identified the bacillus in the orthodox German fashion. Does anyone believe that either of us removed every bacillus and every spore? I know I did not for the tubercular masses in several of my cases kept coming out for weeks afterwards, yet the patients recovered. What I really did was to enable my patients to get rid of the dead or dying exudation on which the bacilli lived, of the decomposition of which they are probably the means and wholly the result. Apply this notion of the germ theory of disease to the facts of clinical medicine and surgery and see how irreconcilable with the facts it is. The reason antibiotics are a scam is that they are based on the wider errors of germ theory. Microbes are not the cause of disease, although they will proliferate in certain conditions. Vitally, there is no war against them. They act precisely in accordance with nature, which is pro-life. Even if it seems unfair at times, they are part of the process that allows regeneration of more life. In calling out the fatally flawed premises of germ theory, Lawson Tate remarked that we do not in the least know what life is. We call it vital power and talk glibly about it, though our men of science seem to have neglected it. Pick out an amoeba and watch him. So long as his sloth-like movements go on, he is avoided by his neighbours. But his movements get feeble and very slow, and you will see a paramecium go at him. The movements cease altogether and presently you will find him riddled with bacteria and bacilli and soon all trace of him will be lost. Why did his enemies avoid him whilst he was alive? Why could they so easily attack him when dead? I cannot tell you, but it shows that there is an enormous difference between tissue living and tissue dead. Some of the mysteries under the microscope may never be known to us, but they do not need to be, to live in perfect health. 
When I reflect on my time in the medical system, I saw fingers being reattached by skillful surgeons and tension pneumothoraxes being instantly relieved by chest strains. I did not see anyone that had their limbs or lives saved by antibiotics, but certainly witnessed some nasty adverse effects, including disturbed microbiomes, following even a couple of doses. Only bringing the terrain back to a vitalized state can result in cure, no matter what the condition, and this can be achieved without the pharmaceuticals. Yes, it certainly can. That's absolutely right. Dr. Sam Bailey there. You can find her at drsambailey.com. Dr. Sam Bailey. She's marvellous, isn't she? She is. Now, I'm just having a bit of a fiddle here because I've gone and lost Ben Shapiro, but I'll bring him back. There he is. Now, let's have a look at the weather, see what's going on with the weather. Uh, the, um, the highest temperature at the moment is Wittianga, 20.3 degrees. Tianao is the coldest place in the country, 8.5. Windiest place, Lyle Bay, Wellington, 31 kilometres. Hamilton is the wettest. Hamilton has 3.6 millimetres of rain falling at the moment. The short forecast for all New Zealand, valid until midnight tonight. Where does it say that? Oh, I just made it up. That's what we used to say when I was back in radio, <laughs> when I did the ZM thing. Um, Northland to Taranaki, including central high country, find spells increasing and showers mostly clearing. However, showers lingering about Tahepi and inland Taranaki today. Uh, for the Bay of Plenty, rain possibly heavy, easing to isolated showers this morning and then clearing later in the evening. For Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, scattered showers possibly heavy this afternoon. Wanganui to Wellington, also for the Wairu Wrapper, isolated showers clearing to mainly fine this morning. One or two showers north of Kapiti late this evening. For all of the South Island except Fiordland and Stewart Island, cloudy periods, scattered showers developing in the south and east from Kaikoura to Southland this morning or afternoon. For Fiordland and Stewart Island, periods of rain clearing uh, the mainland this evening. For the Chatham Islands, rain developing this morning and easing later in the day. When we come back, we will have... Um, uh, well, I'm going to have something. I've got something. I've got something. I just can't remember. It's just the, the thought just ran, just blew away <laughs> like a leaf. Someone st- started a leaf blow and the thought's gone away. I don't know where they go. Where do they go when you're not thinking of them? Thoughts. We'll be back in a minute. I'll, I'll just gather my thoughts. 17 minutes past seven. You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, The World at Five. I still don't know where I am here. I need Ben. Ben, come and help me for a minute. 2016, my objections to Trump were character-based, and they were sort of looking at the state of the world and saying, I just object to this choice. I didn't vote for Hillary. I'm not voting for Trump. That was my take in 2016. So I just didn't vote for president at the top of the ticket in, in 2016 at all, hoping to sort of forestall the binary world that then arrived. Now, one of the things that I was wrong about with regard to Trump is obviously he governed much more to my liking in terms of actual policy than I thought he would based on his campaign. His campaign in 2016 was sort of all over the place. It was quite peripatetic. It was, it was you know, in one place on, on an issue and then five minutes later, another place on the same issue. But the actual policy that emerged from his administration, particularly in the first three years of his administration, I liked quite a lot. And so obviously I was wrong about all of that. My character critiques of Trump remained. Those have not changed. Even when I endorsed him in 2020, I suggested that my opinions of his character had not shifted particularly much. It was just that my belief was that we were now down to a binary choice, that many of the eventualities I had hoped to forestall. Yeah, 19 past, that's 19 past seven, and that was Ben Shapiro. Complete about-face with Trump. He didn't like Trump at all, and now he thinks his policies are good and he wants them in. It's good that he's honest enough to admit that. Who else was honest enough to admit that? Oh, that fellow Scott. 
um, yeah, the one that was the he was a pro-vaxxer. And we heard from him earlier on, I think just after five, we heard from him. And he said that, um, that the, the vaxxers, the anti-vaxxers were right and he was wrong. He feels like he's in a very bad place. And he is because we don't know what's going to happen in the next five years to these people. And if I was putting my evil cap on, I'd be just um, injecting you all, some worse than others. I'd kill off a few, but I wouldn't kill off all of you. I'd give you something that's going to kill you off over the next five years. <laughs> if I want to reduce the world's population, it is working. They are doing it. That's what um, that's what Bill Gates said they wanted to do is reduce the world's population through vaccination. He says, it, and, and it is working. There was a comedian we had on. I'll find him and we'll um, we'll play him just to refresh our memories about what Bill Gates actually said. Now we're over at Radio New Zealand now. Officials urged minister to save smoke-free laws. Briefings have revealed Casey Costello. She rejects rejected all compromise options as suggested to her documents obtained by Radio New Zealand show. And uh, also, New Zealand First Minister Casey Costello notes on tobacco tax freeze alleged to tobacco tax document leaker no longer working at the Ministry of Health. They got rid of him. <laughs> That's what they do. They lock you up or they get rid of you. Now, um, I've got something here which has just come through. Yes, now apparently that bomb maker, Sean Nicholas, who caused the evacuation of Auckland's Albert Park last month. He pleaded guilty in court. There's a photograph of him here, CCTV footage of him over at rnz.co.nz. That's where we're getting the story from. A homeless man who caused the evacuation of Auckland's Albert Park last month has warned police that he had enough explosive material to level the Sky Tower and was intending to detonate it as soon as a popular city centre park was cleared. Wow going to kill himself, I suppose. Uh, police, for good reason, took the threat seriously. Sean Clifford Nicholas, 52, was known to police as a former bank robber and amateur bomb maker who had only recently been released from prison. Well, they didn't do a very good job of re- releasing him, did they? Obviously, they haven't, they, you know, the psychiatrist, you know, the quacks, <laughs> that's what I call them, they're quacks, and uh, they, they uh, the psychologists and psychiatrists, they don't know what they're doing, they're letting him out. Nicholas pleaded guilty to, mind you, we're reading this from RNZ, the fake stream media, and, that, and what we're reading here might not be true, so you've got to take everything that's said that I, that I parrot out from RNZ in particular, and also the other fake stream medias, you've got to take it with a grain of salt and double check everything. There's one place you can be pretty sure of, and that's Counterspin Media, that I have found that them to be quite accurate. Now, Nicholas pleaded guilty to the Albert Park charge earlier this month and appeared in the Auckland District Court via audio-video feed on Monday, yesterday, hoping to receive an immediate sentence uh, amounting to time served. Now, what he, he just wanted to get back in prison, I suppose, get that prison food in here. Judge Peter Winter, however, he put the brakes on the process. He said that he wanted to see... Uh, a pre-sentence report, anything that might help shed light on the defendant's unusual tendencies. On the 24th of January, the incident which caused widespread disruption to the city centre as roughly 60 police officers from two districts rushed to the scene occurred just two months and two days after Nicholas had been released on parole from his most recent prison sentence. Court documents released to the New Zealand Herald state Nicholas had... Uh, at that time, acquired items intentionally selected to resemble 
improvised explosives, so they they look like they were they probably weren't, they were fake um, devices, the IEDs. That is, they use those, don't they, in Iraq and places like that. The defendant chose the Albert Park location as it would allow maximum exposure. Authorities said, explaining that Nicholas called a police officer known to him around midday and announced his plans to detonate the material. And there's a picture there over at RNZ and of the police uh, there. Gosh, there's cones everywhere. This cones everywhere. I don't know. Maybe it's just to do with this, but you know, you drive around the cities and there's cones. You know, they cost about forty dollars each. Those cones, and they're over there every two meters. There's a cone. Just get on with it. Put a tape up or something. We don't need... It's expensive. They waste our money, don't they? Anyway, back to the park, which borders both the University of Auckland and Auckland University of Technology, the main campus. It was cleared and nearby buildings were evacuated. Police were joined by firefighters, paramedics and an Army Explosives Ordnance Disposal Unit. Over the four-hour period of negotiations, Nicholas continued to manipulate his uh, assortment of items uh, to appear as though he was assembling a bomb court documents state. But police and firefighters gave up the talks and took affirmative action after he began to ignite an unknown liquid that was on him. Oh, gosh. An examination of the defendant's items found it to contain a slurry of various liquids, including uh, isopropyl alcohol and dick varnish. Doing the boat, is he? Dick varnish. I suppose that's quite good for igniting things. Yeah, what is it? What do we used to use when we were mixing up our resin? Um, not isopropyl alcohol. What was the other one? We used to pour that. We used to rub our, clean our records with that. Get get the rag of isopropyl, a little spray, spray it on your forty-five or your thirty-three and a third. Didn't have seventy-eights. Well, my parents did, but I didn't. And you'd wipe the isopropyl alcohol over it, and that would clean it. And then you'd put the stylus on. If you're younger listeners, the stylus is what you. Oh, yeah, just the beautiful sound, isn't it? The vinyls, playing vinyls. I've got quite a record collection somewhere. Uh, anyway, so after his arrest, Nicholas... So what did he do? Oh, these liquids were found to be inflammable. Yeah, of course they are. What, now, I was going to say that we use... Um, uh, what was that stuff now that we used? Uh, mix it with the epoxy to clean everything up. Uh, acetone. Yeah, that's quite good. You should have used that. It'd be cheaper. Or just get gun wash, mate. You should have got that. It's the cheapest of the lot. We use that. <laughs> An explosives um, disposal unit tested the items and found them to be explosive. Yeah. Okay, so there he is. Gosh, he looks a sad sight. He looks he looks actually quite disturbed. Sean Nicholas. He was in the court yesterday. Uh, he's got extensive criminal history. Dates back to at least a decade, including the 19, 2000, rather, 2013 incident in which he was sentenced to prison after entering an Ellerslie bank... Uh, that um, turned out to be an air pistol. He had a gun. Turned out to be an air pistol. And in 2015, he was convicted of entering the New Zealand Stock Exchange with a knife and threatening to blow up the building. So he's a bit of a strange chap, isn't he? So I wonder if... He'll be on psychiatric drugs. You can guarantee it. They always like to be quiet about this. But the pharmaceutical industry, you know, they they don't want you to know that he's on psychiatric... Psycho drugs. He would have been. They say, oh, he's off his meds, but he's not off his meds. Usually it's just the psychiatric drugs end up giving you some really serious side effects, which they're all quiet about. They just like to blame it on his office meds. But no, he's on his meds. That's the problem. <laughs> that is the problem. So that's that poor chap. Oh, well, he'll be back in jail again. Really, he just needs proper care, doesn't he? Now, Trump appeals a US $454 million ruling in New York's civil fraud case. Uh, Canterbury shaken by a magnitude 5.1 earthquake overnight. And will the Reserve Bank raise interest rates this week? We're going, we're going to find out. 
Um, wait, if you go to RNT, you can find out for yourself. I don't know if I could be bothered reading it. Or we'll have a quick look at the Reserve Bank because we we want to know what's going on there. So we've got the Reserve Bank is expected to hold rates steady on Wednesday, tomorrow. Inflation will still stubbornly stuck above the central bank's target range. A Reuters poll of 28 economists last week showed all but one expected the central bank to hold official cash rate, the OCR, at 5.5%. Reuters, what are they doing here? Uh, Despite easing in the final three months of 2023, inflation, the annual inflation, at 4.7% remains well above the central bank's target range of 1% to 3%. BNZ head of research, Stephen Topless, it's an unfortunate name, uh, agreed with the majority and expected no change in the OCR, but he said there was always a risk of a rate hike. He said there are many things that the Reserve Bank, the, the, uh, what's R, what's RBNZ, Digger? Ah, uh, Reserve Bank of New Zealand. Oh, thanks, mate. Uh, sees, uh, or interprets in different way, uh, in different way than we see things. Uh, interprets or in a different way. Your reading's shocking, mate. I know. <laughs> it is. I need another coffee. Could you just put the billy on for me? Yeah, all right. Um, and certainly the documents from the Reserve Bank staff over the last few weeks have seen a very hawkish uh, environment, according to Topless. But you never can quite know uh, when they are hawkish or why they are. It's uh, because they're warning, they are a warning that they're going to raise interest rates or was it just because the market was pricing in for rate, pricing in for rate cuts this year? And they clearly don't want that. So perhaps they're just pushing back against that. Topless said that while the Reserve Bank of New Zealand had been talking through, he believed the rate could, uh, the rate cut was on the horizon above the state. Uh, uh, oh, gosh, Grant. <laughs> it was on the horizon given the state of the economy. Pays to read things first, I think. I'm, I'm, I used to be, I was, I kind of got quite good at just sight reading, but I, I'm a bit out of practice. Anyway, um, more on the gang patches. Uh, public want to know how it would be enforced. <laughs> I bet they do. How are you going to break the law? How are you going to break the Bill of Rights to bring in this this gang patch thing, which is all designed to, you know, they use the gangs uh, as a way of bringing in laws that can stop all of us from having our freedoms. Pacifica children are most disadvantaged in New Zealand, apparently, according to poverty data. Child poverty statistics released by Statistics New Zealand. Well, they can make the statistics look any way they want, can't they? They show despite previous Labour government's push at addressing poverty, there's been no improvement. Well, it's probably quite true. And Nathan Leon, or Lion, Leon, I'd go, I'll go for that nice-sounding one, Leon. Um, it's amazing to have a Kiwi legend in our changing room. Australian spinner, Nathan Leon. Is it just, is it Lion? Leon. I don't know, mate. Just spit it out. All right. Um, he has expressed his gratitude for what Black Caps legend Daniel Vittori has been able to do for him and his side. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? Now, Oranga Tamariki. What the heck's that? I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to clear my throat on that one. Um, the um, the head of the Oranga Tamariki. i got no idea what that is. It's kids to do with kids, isn't it? The head of them. Anyway, he says that he has confidence in his staff, even if the public does not. Oh, that's looking after naughty kids, isn't it? Orangutan Mariki. Um, he's a Maori fella. And uh, he's, the, he's the head of it. It's, what, what is it called? What would that be? Child Youth and Family? No. Is it Youth Corrections? Something like that. Chief Ombudsman found the agency is failing on almost every level in a scathing report released this week. 
Speaking at the Orama Oranga Tamariki's annual parliamentary review on Monday, Chief Executive Chappy Tikani, he said he still has confidence. Well, you shouldn't. You need to sack all those staff and get in some proper people, you nutcase. What's wrong with you? Anyway, he said that they get out of bed each day. Well, I hope they do. They get out of bed each day and come to work to do everything they can to make a difference for those kids. Yeah, bash them up. <laughs> this is a shocking report. The agency was making progress on a number of its standards and targets and would continue to do so despite damning a report. Oh, you know, no, sack all those people that were beating up kids. Sack the lot of them and get some proper people in there that actually love love naughty boys and girls, or boys mainly, isn't it? And want them and see and try and try and inspire them to be better people. And it's no good filling them up with all this, you know, you know, the you know, the white people have stolen all your land nonsense, because all that does is divide divide us. And it's a bit like what's happening, I think, in the Marais around this country is we've got um, we've got people that should know better uh, um, indoctrinating young Maori youth with a, a hatred towards white people. That's what they're doing. Let's be honest about it. They're a hatred towards, and they're calling it um, colonialism and all that, but that's happening all over the world. That's just a communist trick. It's a fascist trick as well, because this government won't stop it. But that's what they're doing, and um, that's what they do in Palestine, the so-called, in Gaza. In the Gaza elementary schools, they teach the little Muslim kids to hate the Jews. It's in the textbooks from the river to the sea. And we've got stupid people over here in the Green Party and Labour Party and other half-wits, university nutcases. <laughs> Don't send your kid to university. All they'll be is indoctrinated. Give them, get them onto a trade, they'll make money straight away, and there's a big shortage of them. But anyway, they teach them, you know, from the river to the sea. Do they know what that means? That means kill all the Jews from the Jordan River. In fact, it might even be the Euphrates, probably the Jordan. Jordan to the Mediterranean. They don't even know what it means. Oh, actually, I've got a clip on that. This guy was asking this woman um, who, you know, protesting against the, uh, you know, all the people being killed in, in Gaza. I mean, look, there was more Germans killed during the Second World War, wasn't there? More Germans killed. Uh, so does that mean the British were wrong for defending themselves against Hitler? No. So it's got the, the number of people killed has got nothing to do with the war, the, with whether it's a right war or not. Israel have got the right to defend themselves against these barbaric Muslim terrorists which came into their country. Now, some people are saying that the Israelis allowed it to happen because they wanted to have a war. They wanted to clear out Gaza. Well, if you read the Bible, Gaza belongs to the, the Israelis anyway, <laughs> if you read the Bible. And, you know, so it does. So that was the land of the Philistines. And they're not, they weren't Arabs. They were wiped out. The Philistines, they all were. All of Israel has always been taken by conquest. I think it was first taken by Joshua uh, back 1400 BC, something like that, or 1200 BC. I get confused when we're working backwards, you know, in the BC, before Christ. They don't like to say that, do they? They like to say before the common era. You know, it's not, it's before Christ. Anna Domini, after Christ. They hate it. Oh, they hate it. Oh, just rub it in, Grant. Rub it in. 26 minutes to eight. And uh, I was going to find you that half what. That who was um, talking about, um, oh, far out, where is she? Come on, come on, I'll, I'll just play something and I'll find it. I'll be back in a minute. Now, this is interesting. This A couple of interesting things, then I'll be back in about a minute and a half. On my first trip to the Holy Land, I took a water bottle and I filled it up with Dead Sea. You can see it right here, 33% salinity. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1 says, the new earth will have no more sea. Why is that? Well, we're going to have fresh water, Revelation 22, 1, but no more salt water. So I looked up. There's a number of reasons. Let me give you one. 
The Harvard University School of Public Health, the Chan School of Public Health, says this. Salt is a food preservative, and it tells us here, as I'm looking, that the bacteria cannot thrive in the human body if you have a high amount of salt there. As a matter of fact, even a small amount of sodium, it conducts nerve impulses, helps relax the muscles, maintains balance between water and minerals. In other words, salt is necessary on this earth to keep you functioning, but you're going to have an immortal body, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, wow. verses 53 through 57. God has blessed you with immortality, incorruptibility, no more need for outside sources of health. He's a, a wonderful s- blessing. He is a wonderful, he's a smart man, isn't he? Clever man. Yeah, someone sent me that last night. Now, this is this Jew-hating woman which I was telling you about. She does even know what the river to the sea means. River to the sea, Palestine needs to be free from the occupation, that, which is, is illegal. What's the river? Um, uh, <laughs> I forgot the river's the name, sea? but the sea is the. Oh, hang on, that's a bloke. But there is a woman here as well. Red Sea. It's the river and the sea that everybody's chanting about. Uh, it's I think it's the Black Sea and the river on the other side of Gaza. Okay, so it's the Black Sea and the river on the other side of Gaza. The Palestinian genocide. It's just. Awful. What about the hostages? Do you know about the hostages? Unfortunately, I'm not that educated about that part. Chocolate is not allowed. Wedding dresses are not allowed. It's been this way for over 15 years. It's a genocide. It's not about Hamas. It's not. How is it not about Hamas? It's not about Hamas isn't even there. Isn't where? Hamas isn't where? Even Gaza. Hamas is not in Gaza. The Jews are in Gaza. The Jews? Are there are there hostages in Gaza right now? Oh, I don't know. Uh, no, I got this from someone else. Yeah, he gave it they, to you. Yeah. Do you know what it means? They're just leftists. They're just communists. They don't know what they're doing. They, they just follow the leader. You can't have a proper conversation with them because there's nothing, nobody home up top. And they're at universities. <laughs> oh, my gosh. For the last 50 years, we've had an infiltration of communism in our universities and schools, and our kids are being indoctrinated. Get your kids out, homeschool them. You'd be better off better off. They're trying, to, they're trying to say that's a bad thing, homeschooling, but homeschooling is the best thing to do. Melanie Phillips is a very, very good journalist, and she was editor. I think she was editor of The Guardian. She is a Jewish woman. Let's hear from her. Every single thing that you've just said is untrue. The Jews were the original nation, hundreds and hundreds of years before Islam was even invented. Basically, the precursor of the United Nations, the League of Nations, decided that as a matter of international treaty obligation, the British would be given custodianship of Palestine, called the Mandate, under which Britain would be under a binding treaty obligation to return the Jews to their ancestral homeland to recreate it. Now, what was Palestine at the time? Well, a bit of it, a very large chunk of it, was promptly given away to the Arabs by Winston Churchill to become Transjordan, which is now Jordan. So what did that leave as the territory within which Britain had a binding duty to return the Jews as a matter of historic right? What was that territory? It is what is now Israel, what is called the West Bank and Gaza. There's Melanie Phillips. Brilliant. Go and follow her. Melanie Phillips, fantastic. She's she's just a wonderful human being. Now we're over at abc.net.au. Trump's creepy Putin relationship, a threat, former prime minister. Donald Trump is a terrifying threat to democratic order, thanks to his creepy embrace of autocrats like Vladimir Putin, according to Prime Minister 
uh, former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, you half-wit. <laughs> Sydney, he's, he's a leftist, isn't he? Have to be. Just a globalist. Boy, they're on full street steam ahead, aren't they? The mainstream media, they're losing, the, they've lost the battle. The whole world, we realise, thinking people realise you're a bunch of half-wits, but uh, that you continue to sing this, you know, to, to this group thing. Sydney Mardi Gras broad request. Uh, rather, Mardi Gras, uh, yeah, board request in New South Wales police not take part in the parade. Certainly they should not. The board of the, the uh, Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras has requested that New South Wales police do not take part in this weekend's parade. Shouldn't have it. Well, I suppose you should. You should be allowed to, but just not, no nakedness. Just stop that. You should be allowed to have your homosexual parade with you've stolen, you've stolen God's, um, rainbow, the token of that he won't d- destroy the earth with the water again, with a flood, you've taken that. So you know it's demonic, don't you? All that blimmin' nonsense. But anyway, uh, Antoinette Latouffe flies second legal case against the ABC over dismissal. Former ABC radio presenter, she has escalated her unlawful termination case to the federal court, accusing the broadcaster of breaching its own employee agreement by dismissing her without due process. And a Palestinian Prime Minister submits a government's resignation. Uh, Mohammed Sataya says that his government is resigning in a move that could open the door to US-backed reforms in the Palestinian Authority. It's, no, it's, a, Muslim, it's a Muslim authority. <laughs> it's not Palestinian. No such word as the, the user. Yasser Arafat, he, he coined the, the phrase Palestinian. And, of course, the Romans changed the name from Israel to Palestine. But there's never been a Palestinian state, and there's no such thing as a Palestinian. In fact, the true, the real Palestinians are the Jews. The Palestine uh, Opera, I think it was, Orchestra, they were all Jews. <laughs> all these wonderful violinists. They were all Jews. So there's just Jews and Arabs in there. Uh, there's no Jews and Arabs in, in, in Israel and the Middle East. There are no Palestinians, just a made-up, invented term, like they do, like Aotearoa, invented by white people. And, um, you know, Maoris, you know, you really let your side down when you actually, you never called it Aotearoa. And for you to go along with it just, you know, shows your, your, your ignorance if you're going along with the Aotearoa nonsense. Now, there's been a bushfire. We're looking at Australian news. Bushfire victims take essential energy to Supreme Court over devastating 2018 bushfire. A cattle farmer who is among a group of suing the state-owned company tells the New South Wales Supreme Court that he repeatedly asked for trees to be cleared ahead of the destructive Tathra bushfire. And go back to work or else South Korea's striking doctors give an ultimatum by the government. South Korean government tells young doctors... They have until the end of February to return to work or risk being punished. Ooh, that would be serious if it's, if it's a, the Asians when, when they punish you, they punish you. Uh, they'll be pa- punishing for staging a week-long protest that has disrupted services for patients in several major hospitals. Australian pilot freed after being kidnapped at gunpoint in Papua New Guinea's Highlands. Australian pilot with two Papua New Guinean technicians has been freed after they were kidnapped at gunpoint from a remote telecommunications site in Papua New Guinea's highlands. There we are. What other news have we got? A man has shot his wife dead in Logan after listening to a lengthy barrage about his family's jury. Uh, that's what the jury hears. Oh, he, lift, he listened to it and he shot her dead. <laughs> Shut up, you silly cow. <laughs> oh, boy, you nutter. Why would you do that? Gosh, honestly.
just give her a slap. No, don't do that. I'm <laughs> just joking. Just, just walk away. That's what you do. You just walk away. Sometimes they'll try and incite you to violence, but you just got to walk away from these cows when they do that to you. Anyway, a man who killed his wife at a Logan home uh, more than four years ago told the police that he shot her because she had just waffled on too much <laughs> about his family. As Brisbane jury has heard. Oh, wow. Nuclear bulldust. Oh, I was going to say bullshit. Um, A forest slams coalition and fossil fuel industry for promoting fairy godmother approach to clean energy. Uh, In a uh, Searing Press Club speech, mining and clean energy magnate, uh, his name is Andrew Twiggy Forests, slams the coalition and fossil fuel lobby for using nuclear energy bulldust to delay the transition to a zero-emissions economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, known for being home of Victoria's coal-fired electricity, could this region go nuclear? Victoria's La Trobe Valley has built its identity on electricity production, but the coalition's suggestion nuclear power plants could be built at coal sites in the region has drawn criticism, and a tourist body urges the Northern Territory government to wind back Alice Springs' alcohol restrictions. Let the Abos have a drink. I'll, I'll drink to that. Central Australia's peak tourism body says relaxing bottle shop regist- uh, registrations uh, restrictions is necessary to save the tourism industry, with some members reporting a 50% drop in trade since opening hours were reduced. Yeah, uh, you can't do that. You can't do that. you just got to find out why these guys are getting pissed. And, um, you know, there's, there's a reason for everything, isn't there? So that's Australian news. Let's, mo- let's go over now. Uh, Great Britain, what, what have they got? Sweden to join NATO in a major blow, as a major blow to Putin as Hungarian parliament approves an extension of defence alliance. Israeli parliament member, he says, we have no determination to stay in Gaza for the long term. Well, that's good. That's good. And tourists imprisoned on the cruise ship amid fears of cholera outbreak. Oh, tourists, not just one. They're all being imprisoned. Yeah, yeah, I would never get on a cruise ship these days. You just never know. I wouldn't get on anyway. What a waste of time sitting around on a cruise ship with all these fat people, you know, fat gambling people, uh, drinking, you know, just getting fatter, drinking their um, cocktails that are full of carbohydrates, and full of sugar. U.S. airman dies after setting himself on fire outside the Israeli embassy. Why would you do that? Mentally unstable. Would have to be, wouldn't it? Let's have a listen to that, see if they've got the sound right over at gbnews.com. Oh, very slow. Let's have a crack at it. It's only a short one, just one minute. The volume's up. Go. I can hear a clock ticking. A suspicious object has been found near the Israeli embassy in Sweden. This has just come through, according to Reuters. And there it is. You can see... Oh, you can't see it. It's just... No, it's a waste of time. Uh, Okay, the active soldier yelled, Free Palestine! before setting himself ablaze. A US military service member has died after he set himself on fire in an apparent act of protest against the war in Gaza. What a half He was on psychiatric drugs. Guarantee it. He'd be on pharmaceutical, psycho-nutty, flippin' drugs which send people crazy. Uh, you're better off having a smoking, smoking a joint than going on that stuff. Don't if you If you're feeling depressed, don't whatever you do. Allow your doctor... They just push them out. They don't care. They don't love you. They love money. 
they love the money and they get paid a lot of money. They get trips overseas too if they give out lots of drugs. They're drug pushers. That they are sorcerers. In horrifying footage shared on social media, the airman can be seen setting himself on fire outside the Israeli embassy in Washington on Sunday afternoon. The man was transported to an area hospital after the fire was put out by Secret Service police officers. And uh, although the man was first admitted to hospital in critical condition, he has now died. You do, boy. You get shock. It's a terrible thing, you know. You get a burn. Man alive. I got third-degree burns once. They don't call it third-degree now. But I was in hospital for months uh, with that, trying to electrocute myself um, with the rabbities from the TV. I plugged the bare wires into the hot point and picked them up to put them on the tall boy next to my bed, you know, between my brother's beds, the little tall boy. Well, it's not a tall boy, no, it's a short boy, a little bedside table, because I thought we could talk to each other because the aerials, like, you know, on Duktari, you know, that, that program, that kids' program in the 60s, come in, Duktari. I thought, oh, there's walkie-talkies. And I was four years old and four or five, budding electrician, and uh, could put myself in hospital. I can remember you know, falling over. I can remember standing there getting a shock, and I couldn't let go. <laughs> and fortunately, there was a very short lead on it, just the two bare wires and uh, mum and dad, well, I don't know what they were doing uh, out in the kitchen. They said that all the lights dimmed because back then they didn't have, you know, RCDs, which would have stopped it straight away. They didn't have those, you know. So even if it's a short in the earth wire, um, it, they, it sets them off. But um, I fell on the bed anyway. Third degree burns. I look. I remember looking down. I wasn't in any pain. I just thought, I, and I remember going, oh, no, what have I done? And, and the rabbit ears were lying. Um, I had my hands together still. The, you know, the power allowed my grip to, you know, when the power, when the plug came out, the power stopped and my, I was able to let, you know, not, not grip, because I couldn't let go. You just, all my, all the muscles just taut, you know, just tensed. And the current was just going up my one arm and probably, I don't know whether it was left or right, neutral or phase, I don't know, going right round through my heart, <laughs> giving me an electric shock and back out the other side. And I was just glowing. <laughs> I would have been, I would have been glowing in my hands with the fuse, I suppose. Anyway, so the wire came out and I landed on the ground, on the bed actually, fell on the bed because I, I became, I became unconscious, obviously. And then I remember coming to, and looking down. Oh no, what have I done? This was all in just a matter of seconds. And I remember seeing these um, hands that just looked, you know, smouldering. I could smell flesh, you know, burning flesh. And they they didn't look too bad, but um, they'd really burnt into them. And I've still got the scars, actually, I look at them. And then they did some skin grafts on me, and they given me sort of, I've still got the skin grafts. You can see where they took the skin off and put it on my hands. And I, my mother used to rub lanolin on my hands. Every night I had to put lanolin on. I just hated that. I hated doing that, but you have, to, you have to do it. But I've still got the scars, sort of a talking point now. What's that? Oh, I don't know, war injury. <laughs> I don't know, I was um, abseiling down the cliff. Uh, no, I just, and then I did another silly thing. I was a real live wire, Sparky. And um, my favourite children's programme, actually, Sparky makes a train stalk. But anyway, then I, what did I do then? I got those scissors, and back in the old days, back in the 60s, the scissors didn't have plastic hand, you know, handles on them. They were just, you know, cast iron or whatever they were. Oh, probably not cast iron, but, you know, scissors. And there was a just, and they had no, there was a bedside table lamp in mum and dad's room. And I decided to cut through it. I, what was I thinking? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, did, I remember it. I remember it. As, and I went, and then, boom. <laughs> I didn't get a shock. Funnily enough, I didn't get a shock. But the chunk, you should see the chunk. I must. I wonder if those scissors are still around. Massive chunk, the shape of a wire, took it out of the steel. So I must have hit one first, but it didn't bother me. 
I was okay. Must have had gumboots on or something. I don't think so. I wouldn't have been in mum's room with gumboots on. But anyway, oh, I was a life wire. Anyway, so how do we get onto that? Oh, we were talking about we we're over the airman who committed suicide. Secret Service continued to investigate the incident. You'd be on psychiatric drugs. You can guarantee it. Guarantee it. People don't do things like that for no reason. He was only 25. Uh, spokesman for the embassy said no staff members were injured. Israeli embassy have um, been the target of continued protest against the war in Gaza, of course. Uh, the war in Gaza has led to pro-Palestinian and pro-Israeli protests in the United States. The protest started after the October 7th when, look, oh, let's see how they write it, when Hamas, the Palestinian Islamic group that rules Gaza, killed 1,200 Israelis and seized 253 hostages in a cross-border attack. Oh, it's feely. Fairly all right. That's GB News. I think they're fairly, fairly good. 